The way that buying and procurement actually works inside of organizations has changed and that's precipitated the need for software to solve a new problem. So in the last 10 or 15 years, buying has become just much more distributed. But that decision-making has been pushed sort of throughout the organization closer to the edge. The review of that spend has become more cross-functional in nature. Welcome to Research Radio, the official podcast of Contrary Research. Contrary Research is the best starting place to understand any private tech company. In each episode, we dive deep into the most important conversations and companies in technology. This show is your first step to understanding any startup. I'm your host, Kyle Harrison, general partner at Contrary. For more info and to read our full research reports, visit research.contrary.com. Myself, guests, and Contrary may have financial interests in the companies discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice. As always, do your own research before making any financial decisions. Today, we're digging into a category that very few people think about very much, but it impacts almost everyone on a day-to-day basis, procurement. Procurement has never been seen as a core pillar of an organization, per se, when compared to pillars like sales, marketing, engineering, or product. But the importance of the category is becoming more and more obvious. Starting in 2012, SAP acquired Ariba for $4 billion to broaden into spend management. More recently, Coupa was taken private by Toma Bravo for $8 billion. And while these platforms have all created a more efficient way to track business spend and what stuff is getting bought, the reality is the workflow of procurement is changing. Where there used to be one central organization to order everything, the reality is each organization understands their needs better than a centralized purchasing department. So procurement has become distributed. Now it's something that everyone needs to worry about. Tackling the challenges of making that intake process for new purchases easier for every user, we sat down with Rajul Zapardi, the co-founder and CEO of Zip. All right. Well, let's jump in. Rajul, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. I think it'll be a super fun conversation in large part because I think what has most excited me about your business is that it's it's very quickly become very expansive. There's a lot of different moving parts. You're tackling a very big category. And so I'm kind of excited to unpack the different pieces of your business and how you've made decisions to expand into certain areas. But before we get started, I always like to say, you know, contrary research, our biggest focus is to be the best starting place to understand any private tech company. And so obviously, for those of the folks listening that don't know, maybe give us the elevator pitch. What is Zip? What exactly are you tackling? And then we can double click from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, Zip provides one front door for any employee in an organization to request a purchase. And then we route that purchase for approval across all the different teams that need to review it, right? Like finance, IT, legal, security, so forth, before connecting downstream all the way into the financial system or an ERP. We're a B2B SaaS company uh, focused on solving for procurement. And so when you think about procurement, like, again, this is one of the things that it's most interesting to me. Procurement is this massive multi-billion dollar category, right? You have a trillion dollars that's transacting across business spend of all shapes and sizes. You have hundreds of Fortune 500s that now have chief procurement officers. So it's really become this core function. And you do have some sort of legacy players in this space, right? You've got Ariba that was acquired in 2012 for over $4 billion, Coupa more recently for $8 billion. So there's obviously been a kind of established world of procurement that is evolving. Walk us through how you see the space. Like, How has the sort of paradigm in procurement evolved over the last decade or so? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the way that buying and procurement actually works inside of organizations has changed, and that's precipitated the need for software to solve a new problem. And let me walk you through that. So in the last 10 or, I don't know, 15 years, buying has become just much more distributed. It's been pushed down into organizations. And, and what I mean by that, right, for example, is that like there was a time when IT, the IT department would like decide all the software that a company would buy, and then they would buy it, and then they would implement it. And of course, today, that sounds kind of crazy because like each function, you know, marketing, sales, engineering, product wants to do their own thing. Maybe it's they're buying software, but maybe they're hiring a contractor or they're like buying billboards or they're running a campaign, right? They're doing their own thing. And so they need to buy stuff, which means they need to work with some set of vendors. Some might be new vendors, some might be existing vendors, whatever the case is. But that decision-making has been pushed sort of throughout the organization, closer to the edge, uh, if you will, one. And then the second, maybe even more important change that I think has occurred in the world in the last 15 years is the review of that spend has become more cross-functional in nature. It's not just about how much money does it cost. It's actually about the cybersecurity risk that it might carry, the privacy risk. You know, IT might need to review it because it's, it's software or it's a contractor that's going to have access to, you know, core company systems, right? Or... Of course, there's a contract, so you have to have some sort of legal review, of course, of, of the MSA. It's become much more cross-functional. And so if you take both of those changes in the world and you say, okay, well, even more people need to buy things inside of companies, and these are people that have regular day jobs. So if we were training them on how to like do procurement, that would be a bad use of their time because that's not even their job. And then all of that stuff that they're requesting, if it's an, especially if it's a new supplier, has to go through way more reviews than in the past. And actually, how much the thing costs is not necessarily correlated. In fact, might be inversely correlated, unfortunately, with the risk that it carries. And that, you know, we found was, was a gap in the world. And so we created a category around it that we call, you know, intake to procure to really manage that intake, one front door, and then the cross-functional which is what I mean by to procure, the cross-functional reviews and the cross-functional approvals that are required for that spend, whether it be a new vendor or not, that you know used to not be that much of a problem 15 or 20 years ago, but it has become a problem. And that's the problem that we started to specifically solve for. What was the status quo, like as you set out to talk to people about this problem, what was the status quo of what they were, because obviously that sort of distribution of purchasing power happened before you started the company. And so as you're exploring how to go about solving this problem, people were using piecemeal solutions or they were, you know, Jimmy rigging something to make this work. How were people doing it before they started working with Zip? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. There's a spectrum. And on the sort of worst case scenario, if you will, for a company, just email. Slack, Microsoft Teams. I mean, in some organizations, even like physical, right? Like phone call, sort of methods like that, just trying to call somebody, reach out to somebody and say, hey, how do I, what do I do? You know, and then the, if the company has a procurement team, then somebody on that procurement team will be the quarterback, if you will, of that request and actually manually track this stuff. But you you lose a lot, right? Like if, if a company has a security team, they don't actually have assurance that that security team is reviewing everything that requires security to be reviewed. Because it's not programmatic, it's not in software, it's like humans like trying to track the stuff. And of course, if it's you know, if it's a five thousand dollar thing, like it's hard to justify having a human like manually tracking that when actually that's exactly the type of thing that might open your business up to risk. 
right? I mean, the significant majority of breaches actually come from vendors, not from any other source. It's this process that is the culprit of that. So in worst case, it's that. Sort of best case, it's having built some like thing on SharePoint or maybe in Jira or something that like has some logic in it. But then the problems there become, it's extremely cumbersome to maintain. There's a lot of permissioning issues, um, as you can imagine. Spend can be uh, complex, but also sensitive, right? Like if you're a hiring contractor, their TIN is actually maybe their social security number, for example. So you have a lot of like downstream and then, you know, how much you pay them is actually like kind of like their salary. Should that be visible? So you just get into a lot more complexity and, and just ongoing maintenance challenges around that. And, and ultimately, I think it's like a question of, as a company, is this your comparative advantage? Is it your comparative advantage to like run how you do this intake to procure process? Or should you just buy something for it that is like purpose built for that because it's a new problem that has been created in the world in the last decade? And I think what we found being in the market for some time now is that like it's important for a company to be able to procure because it, it's important for them to be able to control their spend, get visibility into that spend early, while also making sure that it doesn't take longer than it should for something that actually does need to be bought so that that person in the business can be empowered to go do whatever their day job is. But it's not something that every company should be building from first principles from scratch. That's almost kind of dumb. And so, you know, that's, I think, the realization that, that we had. It's interesting to hear you talk about sort of the different ways that people have tried to solve it because it very much, it seems like, informs then where your product has kind of expanded to fill different needs that people have. But before we dive into the product, we kind of talked about, so there is this distribution of buying power that happened over the course of the last you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it might be. More recently, over the last two or three years, what's interesting, I think, about your story as well is, if I remember correctly, you left Airbnb in 2019. You guys started the company in 2020. You were sort of exploring almost problems to solve, kind of looking for, for a company to start. How did COVID, if at all, inform how you guys thought about this problem? And, and even as you were starting the company, how did the sort of pivot to remote work sort of shape the thesis going forward? Yeah, I mean, COVID certainly exacerbated this problem, right? Because for the first time now, you couldn't just walk up to somebody and ask them how this process works. You'd actually have to like, especially if you're in a larger organization, you have to like figure out who this person or the people even are and then like find a way to get in touch with them. And so a lot of the organic with sort of the lack of a formal system, you know, a lot was sort of solved, if you will, or worked through with organic, informal conversations and processes. So you suddenly sort of like got rid of that because you have to schedule a Zoom meeting to have like a conversation and, you know, all the, all the problems that I think we all uh, sort of faced uh, at the beginning of the pandemic uh, certainly just made this a harder problem to solve. So I think it certainly resonated more with people after the pandemic. Um, and for us, you know, I mean, when we started the company, we were, this was like, uh, you know, mid 2020. So people were like still at home, unable to like, you know, do much, uh, I think. And so a lot of the, you know, the finance leaders and, and so forth that we had reached out to uh, just to talk, to understand like how they think about this problem, you know, procurement leaders, how they think about this problem, were kind enough to actually, you know, chat with us and share their two cents and, and like walk us through their problems. And, and I think some of that was because like, they're also kind of bored at, at home. And so like, you know, I think, of course, now we're sort of more back to regular life. But I think that helped us in a way that again, isn't specific maybe to our idea or the thing that we're working on. Yeah. Well, and so now this is a good segue a little bit into the product. When I think about the product, it feels like there is sort of this like core workflow tool. And then there are a lot of areas that you can expand and add functionality around it. But at the end of the day, procurement is this process like people want thing. They want to 
purchase things. They have questions they need to answer about that stuff. So there is a sort of workflow of information gathering, collection, and then you know submitting. And then there is on the back end this approval process, and that's where you start to get into involving a lot of different people in a lot of different departments. So it feels like that sort of core workflow tool is a really foundational piece of the product. But I'm curious, like, what framework do you have to think about? What is the product surface area and where are the most important components that make this product super valuable for people? No, I think that's a great question. Um, I do agree that the intake to procure process is really predicated upon the fact that you have to have a really, really great, clear visual workflow that can be extremely flexible and support lots and lots of variants. And we see that, right? Because, you know, we see that the needs of a, you know, a bank, like we have customers that are banks that might have 18 different types of risk teams, believe it or not, right? To a small tech company that actually has this problem, but it's actually much simpler to solve for them in a sense to, you know, healthcare systems that have a wildly different set of of teams that need to review under a series of very, very different circumstances, depending on the use of patient data or just many, many other sort of variables. And so to be able to build that and do it in a way that is completely no code config and the customer uh, can actually own a non-technical person, I should say, at the customer can actually own the entire implementation and like change with, of course, the right permissioning, right? Um, Anything in their workflow over time uh, is actually just like increases the complexity uh, and the burden for our product and engineering teams, right? Because it's like, it's actually that much harder to build a product that is not just that extensible, but that extensible in a no-code way for somebody else to administrate uh, and maintain. And to then maintain across, you know, hundreds and hundreds of deployed customers with all the different states of the product that exist as you ship new features and ensuring stability of, of, of the product. That's actually a really hard um, engineering problem and a product problem to, to solve for. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I think the team has done a really good, good job there. But I agree with you. I think that that's the core. You know, ultimately, our guiding light when you think about like the, the surface area is we're here to make our procurement champions. And, and when I say procurement champions, I mean somebody that is responsible for the procurement process, regardless of whether they have the title, right? Because sometimes someone else is actually responsible and they may not have that title, but they're, that's like the core tenant of, of their role at their organization. And just making sure that those champions are really successful and like we're helping make them look like heroes and helping them like focus on the more strategic stuff and like do less of the tactical stuff. And in the example that, that I shared that we were talking about, you know, the manual quarterbacking of these requests across teams, like that's actually pretty tactical. Uh, And so like, that's a core thing that we want to help just automate for them or matching approved purchases to invoices that are coming in, in our procure to pay product. That's a thing that, you know, can be completely automated. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other examples there, but like, that's the guiding light for us. And then from a product perspective of just making sure that we are really holding ourselves to the absolute highest bar of product quality and user experience and then doing things, you know, as serially as we can and not like sort of all at the same time. Because there is a lot of pain in the general space and a lot of desire for improvement. And we will get there, but we have to maintain our discipline getting there. 
Well, and I want to unpack to that sort of evolution that you're describing of the product. I, I've heard you describe the product as a front door that sort of sits in front of your procurement process. So there's a lot of tools and things you have to use, not all of which Zip is immediately going to want to do. But when you think about like the evolution, is it fair to say that like originally you sort of tried to sit in front of things like an Ariba and a Koopa and over time have expanded to replace those tools? Or like, how do you think about the timeline of the evolution of the product in terms of what you want to do and what you want to maybe partner or integrate with? Yeah. So to be clear, we actually don't replace systems like, like Ariba. We're actually uh, a partner of theirs. Um, and, and a lot of it is like, you know, we're very focused on the intake problem. Now we do, uh, and this is where maybe there's divergence by segment when you think about some of these other these other solutions and systems. But we now do, you know, intake to procure, which is our core product. We have since expanded to do intake to pay, where we actually do the procure to pay, uh, which is a more established category that's existed for for quite some time. Uh, we recently launched uh, as well a sourcing product, which allows companies to be able to run. RFPs, RFXs, uh, much, much more efficiently and, and in a way that they can actually enable the end user to actually kick that off. So they can actually bid out, if you will, more purchases and drive more savings uh, for their organizations. Do you see that as, because again, I totally, it makes perfect sense when it's such a intricate value chain of things that have to happen. You have to kind of figure out what do you play nicely with and stuff. There's also things that like you don't, either you don't want to rip out or your customers were going to be, are going to be very reticent to replace over time or whatever. But it is fair to say like, as you get into the pay end of that intake to pay cycle, or even with the sourcing side, obviously, Coupa certainly is a sort of big in the sourcing world. How do you think about is there a vision where you eventually expand to try and say, hey, you eventually could run your entire procurement stack with Zip? Or is there a very defined universe where we say, hey, we don't ever want to get into this part of the world or that. We really want to focus on this core competency. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think our view of it is that like, you know, what we really care about is intake. Uh, and then we want to maintain as agnostic of a position as humanly possible to every other component around it. And of course, that varies by segment, right? But like, that's how I see it. Like, ultimately, that's the sort of the center. Like, that's the another way to frame it is like the point of origination of like a request of somebody needing something in the business. We want to make sure we own that because that's our reason for existence. That's the problem we're solving for. And then if someone chooses to go, you know, if they're in a you know certain type of company and they choose to go with us deeper into the journey in, in sort of one place and, and not the other, that's great. But we're actually fine. Either way, uh, we actually don't, and it sounds maybe counterintuitive, but we actually don't care as much about that. What we care about is the intake uh, mm -hmm. starting in, in Zip and, and owning that part of the experience. Why is that so valuable? Like, just, I'm just curious, you're thinking in terms of like, what corpus of data do you want to be the sort of system of record for versus like, nice to have adjacencies, but why why so focus on the intake part of the, of the value chain? I think it's actually maybe... It's just maybe simpler than that for me. Uh, I think it's it's because like that's our reason for existence. That's the category that we created, intake to procure. That's what makes us special in the world, right? Because that's the problem we saw. That was the gap. That was the the manual process, the the emails, and you know, and like we want to make sure that we own that. Um, and I also think it's it's important that you know that we we see this across our customers. And the employee base then knows that they need to go to Zip to kick off a procurement related thing, and you know we want to be the front door of that. Of course because it's our sort of reason for existence in the world. And where do you see, and, and one last question here, and then I want to move yeah. into a little bit more of the customer and how they, how they use the product. 
But in terms of like the landscape of solutions that are out there, there's also obviously folks that are, you know, whether it's like buying platforms and helping with negotiations for procurement professionals or the actual like spend management that happens after the fact and stuff. Are all of those things you see them as adjacent as well to what you're doing? Are you doing more of the, you think of the vendors of the world that are trying to help in that early negotiation process? How does that square with what you guys are trying to do? Uh, yeah, I look at them as, as sort of adjacent. You know, I think some of it is like one. I think a lot of those companies are very focused on like buying software and buying SaaS. And you know, we see that less than twenty percent of the requests that come through are, are software uh, across the you know thirty plus billion dollars that is that has been approved in Zip. And so it's everything else that you would expect, right? There's services, there's contractors, there's uh, IOs for marketing spend, there's physical goods. Believe it or not, people still buy physical goods uh, in twenty twenty three. Uh, you know, it's easy to forget, but like, uh, but they do, right? And all of those things are actually very, very complex and specific, uh, each of those use cases. And so we sort of pride ourselves in like knowing those use cases, having, you know, great set of templates for those uh, across that we've now developed across our set of customers that can help the next customer so they don't have to build all of this from scratch. And so, you know, I look at these as sort of companies that we actually have integrations to a lot of these companies uh, that, that you mentioned. So, they're sort of separate. And then I also, you know, I mean, I don't, from a negotiation perspective, right, I, you know, we're, we're a SaaS company, we're not a services company. There are definitely other providers that can help negotiate and provide the services components, but uh, we don't do that because we're, we're a SaaS company. Yeah. And that's a really good segue into another area that I want to kind of dive into of like understanding your customer. You've obviously got some great customers. I think you've mentioned folks like Webflow and Notion, Snowflake. Um, I think you recently had a conference last year. We had the CFO of Snowflake coming and talking about working with you guys. So a lot of great logos, all very much, at least a lot of the ones that are public are in tech. You've mentioned a few. It sounds like there's maybe banks or hospitals, folks in healthcare. So it seems like there's a pretty diverse base of customers. Maybe walk me through like, how do you think about what an ideal customer looks like in terms of size, sophistication of procurement muscle? Like what's sort of the sweet spot for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I think the thing that actually matters the most is that they also believe that they have this problem around intake and around the fact that this is actually a cross-functional challenge between all these different teams and stakeholders that are involved. That's probably like, that might sound a bit like a cop-out answer, but like, that's kind of like the number one thing because, you know, not everybody recognizes that that's a problem, right? Because, and it's not because it is or isn't, it's just because as humans, like we get used to the way of doing things the way we've always been doing them. And so to have like a paradigm shift and be like, wait, I actually don't need to do any of that can be a challenge. Um, but what I have seen uh, just even in the last couple of years uh, is that it is definitely uh, becoming much more front and center because of the the changes that you know we were talking about earlier earlier on that have occurred in the world like have only sort of progressed uh, over the last couple of years and so the pain is even more acute I think today than even as recently as 2020. So I think the number one thing is is that and it does not matter to like we have we have customers that have procurement teams with hundreds of people in them or more and then we have customers that have no one on the procurement team because they don't actually have that function yet. And uh, the way we sort of solve for that is like we have best practice guides and templates across those different cuts and segments, right? From literally nobody to hundreds of people. Most companies probably will never get to hundreds of people in procurement. It depends on the nature of your business, but like sort of along that journey and then also cutting by vertical and in industry. So that way we can, you know, if you're a, a health insurance company uh, that has 5,000 employees, we actually have relevant templates and guides for you that will help you in your journey versus 
you're a 300 person tech company that's growing quickly and like doesn't have a procurement person yet. And you're just trying to figure out how to like get early visibility into all your spend. Great. It's a totally different template, but we, there are templates for that too. And so for us, it's more just like making sure the person like believes in the mission that we have and cares about intake and the value. And then sort of making sure that we can best support with our previous learnings and resources that we have. Hmm. That's also, it's definitely backed up by data. One of the things that I thought was really interesting as we did some of our research on Zip, we came across a report from BCG where they sort of looked at, you know, the top companies in, that are consistent in the S&P 500. You take sort of the top 150 of them. Only 35% of them have a chief procurement officer or some equivalent type of role that's very focused on this function. But when you isolate those companies that take procurement seriously, basically what you're talking about, right? These folks that recognize that this is a problem that needs a like hands-on solution, those companies outperformed the broader market from 2000 to 2020 by 134%. So like there's something unique, there's something special about those companies that are taking procurement seriously. And it feeds very much into what you're describing. You find these people that take the problem seriously. What I'm curious about is, you know, I think anybody who doesn't work in procurement doesn't appreciate the sort of you know, multifaceted tentacles that that has across an organization would be surprised that that matters at all, right? Where it's like, ah, it seems like kind of the boring part of how a business works, like how they buy stuff. But it seems like it's pretty impactful to the company overall. And I'm curious, like if you go a layer deeper, when you find those customers who really do resonate with what you're describing and they appreciate how big of a problem this is, what is it that makes that company special? Or or what is it that is invested in the way that they run their business that's so unique? Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, ultimately, I think you're actually right. I think it has to come down. So typically, the procurement function rolls up into the office of the CFO. And I do think, uh, and I, this is maybe more anecdotal, so I, you know, it might be challenging for me to back this up. Uh, but like, I really do think that it's like CFOs that actually really care about procurement and care about I mean, especially if you, you know, with, with the macro in 2023, right? I think so many more companies were focused on managing and, and controlling their spend better. And so it, you have to have leadership that really believes in the value of procurement because you have to believe in the value of the, of the role itself uh, and, then, and then support that with investments in the right people, the right process, and of course, the right systems uh, and technology, which is, you know, of course, where, where sort of we slot in. But I do think that it's, it actually comes down from like, CFOs and maybe even the CEO and founders. It's got to sort of start there because if they don't care as much about it and there's not as much of a sort of focus on on getting to visibility uh, around their spend quickly and early, you know, a system isn't going to solve for that by itself. Like it's got to have the belief in the organization to support it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, and that it also translates, I think, when you look at for you guys, so you identify those customers that sort of thematically believe in the same direction that your solution will help them. And then how that translates into success for you all as a business. And so I'm curious how you think about your sort of North Star. I know you guys have talked about, and I think you mentioned billions of dollars that have been approved by, I think it's 30 billion or so, like the massive amounts of, of sort of transactions that are being reviewed through your platform. Um, so that's a massive scale. How do you guys think about your sort of North Star metric to say, hey, our engine is working if these things are happening? Yeah, no, I mean, we certainly look at usage across our customers and by customer and by segment, how much of their spend is actually being reviewed in Zip, right, for them. And so those are, and, and we're always helping uh, because we can also help our customers. Say, hey, you know what, for companies like you, 
you're either best in class or, hey, you know what? I think you might need some help. And here are three ways that you could get better at this. And that might be making a policy change. It might be like something else like about their workflows or it might be, hey, like, do you really need, you know, 16 different reviews for this type of thing? Like, it actually seems kind of abnormal that you would because other companies like you, like, don't seem to have that level of process and so forth. Part of this is like getting the process stood up and getting the system stood up, uh, but then also helping them you know, continuously improve. And so, so there's metrics like that uh, around sort of spend visibility across the customer base um, and predictability that we, that we look at. Hmm. And then how does that translate into, so when you think about the next three to five years, thinking about almost the sort of the things that maybe keep you up at night, or when you think about like, all right, our ability to succeed in helping people manage more of their transactions through Zip like what are some of the obstacles to that, right? Is it this sort of philosophical thing where more companies need to wake up to the value of this? Or is there the possibility that other solutions that are plugged into this transaction or this stack could potentially you know, do it better or whatever? How, what are the things that you think about most as sort of obstacles that you're going to have to face over the next few years? You know, I tell the company this, like I think it's nearly all execution risk. And that's a, that's a very, uh, that's like significant risk, right? Because especially when it comes to the product, like there's, we get asked by customers all the time about, hey, can you, what if you built this? Or what if you did that? Like, oh, this is also really broken for me. Like, uh, and it might be like very closely related. It might be like completely unrelated, uh, right? But we hear that all the time and, and they're not wrong. Like there is pain in, in, in the world and just like the general space of like software in the back office, uh, if, if you will, right? And so- it's just balancing what we want to build next with like just just making sure that we are not, like not biting off more than we can chew. I think there are companies out there, not necessarily in this space, but just in general, that have like been too motivated by what we'll like sell, and so they'll build product and then trade that off against other investments, and then you sort of have like this sprawling code base and like sprawling set of products that are like not fully invested in. Because I think what they don't understand, and this is a core value of ours, is that if, if we ship a, a, we write a line of code and we ship a product, and even if only one customer is using that product, it is our job and it is our duty to service that line of code in perpetuity until no one is using that line of code. And I think those like ongoing investments are not necessarily made by a lot of B2B SaaS companies. And the reason for that, by the way, having worked at Airbnb before, Right, like as a con- if you work at a consumer company and you don't have a good product, what happens? No one goes to your website, or they leave your website and they go to somebody else's website because it's better and they book that thing. Uh, and so you have to earn the right to the business every you know hour, every minute, every second of every single day. Uh, unfortunate thing is with you know B two B software, certainly software that's sold top down, you only have to earn that right to the business either once every year or three years, five years or whatever. And not with the people that are even using the software. That's, you know, maybe almost the sad part. It's with somebody else that actually has the power uh, and the budget. And so that's, I think there's like a cognitive dissonance there. And like that causes software companies to like go off the path and like maybe even build like bad products. Uh, Because I don't think anyone sets out to build a bad product. Everybody is very, very well-intentioned, but they're a bad product. So like, how does that happen? And I think it's because of that. And so we really ground ourselves in like, building for the end user in mind. Because if we build for the end user, it actually makes the job for procurement, for finance, for all these folks, it's only hard if it's just hard for the actual person to use it. Uh, if you make that easier, 
everything like suddenly starts to flow with the current and not against the current. Uh, and so, you know, that's how we sort of trade things off. And that's how I sort of look at the North Star and our sort of philosophy for, for building. Yeah. Well, and that, that's a good sort of other side of the coin, right? When you think about the sort of obstacles you have to be cautious of, it also creates the opportunities of like, there's a lot of things to say no to, but also what do you say yes to? Like, where are the opportunities? And and maybe this is a good way to illustrate this because like you'd mentioned just a few months ago, you launched a sourcing module. Maybe walk me through like, how did you apply that same framework you're describing of like, we could do a ton of things, but we need to really focus but sourcing came into the purview of like, okay, this is something we should focus on and it is accretive to the overall product. How did you go about that decision and why was sourcing kind of the next big thing for you guys? Yeah, yeah. So, so there was, you know, first and foremost, a lot of customer demand for it. You know, and I think as we like went through and did a lot of research, uh, user research with customers, with prospects, like people who are not customers and, and others, uh, and, and different profiles, right? Of people that are power users, people that are just like regular people that may have to like buy something that's expensive that like might need to be put out to bid through an RFP. Um, and, and we realized that like there actually was a gap because a lot of the, the software out there uh, that does sourcing is built for much more complex uh, sort of supply chain and you know reverse auctions and like just more sort of nuanced use cases, but at the expense of like allowing a regular person in the company to like kick off an RFP for something that you know costs a hundred thousand dollars in a simple way without requiring like a professional to help like orchestrate the process, and we realized that like actually if you can solve for that, there's like um, it's not the long tail, but it's like the middle. It's like the fat middle and uh, whatever the opposite of the long tail is. I don't know what it's called. But like, there's a way to solve for that in a really intuitive way in the product and have it work very naturally and seamlessly with our intake to procure product. Because what we found is that people aren't like, oh, I need to like go do an RFP. It's like, they'll start with something. And they'll be like, oh, actually, wait a minute. This is getting expensive. Like, oh, crap. Like, maybe I should do an RFP. Usually, it's not clean and clear at the beginning. It's like somewhere through. And so we built the product to seamlessly transition in and out of an RFP throughout that intake to procure process whenever that point occurs, if it ever occurs. And that's a real differentiator. Like that's the thing that we found was of real value to our customers. And and that was like when you think about sort of trade-offs, like it, it ha- like it has to work really seamlessly and well with the core and there has to be a reason for it. And we realized that people were actually, before the sourcing product, leaving the product, doing this offline, and then coming back, uh, right? Uh, and so so it just made natural sense because it was like part of the flow to build. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Well, maybe a final sort of area that I'd love to dig in with you, because as you think about how sort of broad and expansive this category is, how complex it is, and it sounds like obviously you're getting a lot of customer push in specific directions. How do you visualize what the Zip platform will look like over the course of the next three to five years? Like, where are the sort of beachheads that you see as expand? And for some folks, it's like, we need to do exactly what we've sort of built, what we need to build. And now we need to get into the hands of everyone because it would benefit everyone. Where there are some folks where it's sort of, there's still a pretty expansive vision for where the product surface area can cover. And so I'm curious how that informs the next few years for you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think for us, like, it's really, we've built a lot of product uh, and I think it's making sure that we like continue to invest in the nuances of that product, especially when you look at different segments, different types of companies, you look at, you know, different needs, different teams that we work with, types of teams. It's really doubling down and focusing on that over the coming years and making sure 
that we really care a lot about customer love, which sounds, you know, maybe surprising uh, for a company that focuses on procurement software. But like, I've actually found that like, it's actually kind of an emotional thing for people. Uh, it's an emotional sale, even if you will, because they're usually so unhappy with how manual their process is and what they have to do that like, this like actually can help elevate them to be much more strategic uh, in the organization and also viewed as more strategic because they are in the organization. And so for us, it's just making sure that the core uh, that we built intake to procure and intake to pay uh, with, with sourcing, we doubled down on. And uh, one of the analysis that we made recently was too, uh, was around our generative AI capabilities. We've, we started off with some uh, really exciting use cases but there's a lot more, uh, a lot, lot more here that we're scoping. Uh, so that's the other big pillar that I'm really excited about that I think will actually carry us for years on our on our roadmap. Um, I think we're actually going to be able to make a lot of progress uh, very quickly there. But generative AI is obviously not something we've spoken about yet today, but, you know, core part of the roadmap going forward. Well, and I think a great place to end because I think like exploring that also sort of illustrates where the corpus of data exists that you've already created, right? Because when you think about leveraging generative AI, it's sort of, okay, well, what do we have a unique set of data that we can then inform things that people are doing automatically produce, whether it's templates or whatever. And so I am curious how you think about where is the most significant you know, value for you guys when it comes to building generative AI into the product? Yeah, I think it's it's around, I mean, any sort of type of use case where there's, you know, a lot of, where there's the need to structure data stands out, right? And so for us, of course, like if you're going to buy something, there's like a contract and there's an order form, like those are uh, obvious use cases to, to sort of start out. But ultimately, I think you can actually lean on generative AI to actually help like, not just programmatize and manage the process, but also to like almost, if you will, like do the work in a way, right? Like there's a lot of reviews that actually can be relatively redundant. And I'm not saying that today or tomorrow, or even two, three years from now, Gen AI is just going to like do the reviews, but it can certainly do a lot of the review and then allow the human that's in that role to just focus on what's maybe different, but not the other 95% that's like actually probably like the okay and the same thing. And they can like just focus on where to add value, right? And of course, maybe in 10 years or five years, like we're at a point where you actually can reduce the need for like human review of a lot of this stuff. But for now, we want to elevate. Uh, if someone's actually going to be working on something, like let's just make sure they're just doing the most strategic work possible. Uh, and anything that might be redundant or menial, like software can do that, AI can do that. Yeah. Well, I think it'll be super interesting to get to watch. And it's also awesome to just companies like yourself sort of sit at a very specific key point where you're already plugged into those workflows and seeing all that data and stuff. And so you guys will sort of be the ones to help define where where can we most effectively leverage AI to do this stuff. So I think that'll be really exciting to watch. Yeah, no, that makes two of us. I'm also very excited. Yeah, awesome. Well, Rajul, thank you so much for walking me through the story. Really appreciate you unpacking it and, and really enjoyed it. No, thanks so much, Kyle, for, for having me. Thanks for listening to Contrary Research Radio. If you want to hear or read more from us, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast player or visit us at research.contrary.com. Contrary.com.